0: Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be at verses 15 through 21 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, as we continue to work our way through the book of Ephesians. Got an interesting call this week at my house. Uh, A publisher contacted me and wanted to talk with me about writing a book, and uh, so I'm in negotiations. I'm not certain if I'm going to do it. they have four editors that will correct my English. It'll take more than that. When I got in the doctoral program at Southwestern, I had the highest, GRE in, highest score in the GRE in quantitative and analytical. I was in the top 1%, but when it came to verbal, I was in the top 60%. And so I've always said I can figure it out. I just can't always write it out. So anyway, we'll see. But if I do it, I already know what I'm going to do. If I follow through, it's on the subject of what I've always wanted to write about. And it may be a good time to do something like that. And it's been literally what we've done the last three or four weeks. And the title of the book, if I titled it, and I don't know how all that stuff works, but mine is going to be good in parentheses works in an evil age. That Doing good really does work. In fact, what we've been looking at the last three or four weeks since we hit chapter 4, around verse 25, all the way to what we'll do today, is literally an explanation of how you and I are supposed to live our lives. In fact, I'm even now stronger on one of my convictions. I said this at the start when I was doing this, especially when we got to the middle of chapter 4, that back when I was pastoring and I'd be counseling a couple that had some very serious marital issues going on, I could sit there and give them the biblical admonitions and advice that you any preacher would give when he sits down and talks with them. And I would go to Ephesians 5 and I would walk through Ephesians 5. You know the passage of women's response to men and men's response to his wife, and I would walk them through some of that. I'd give them some extra things. I'd get a good agreement, and then they would all go home, and I'd sit there thinking, okay, we did some good today. I I, I feel good about this. really does work. And then I get a call a couple of days later. They had only been home for about an hour or two. One of them said something. The other said something back before long. knockdown, down, drag out, fight. And it got frustrating to me because, you know, I don't get paid to counsel. It's just part of my job as being a pastor. But I do it because I want the church members to have a good life. I want to see if I can be of some help. And so I would, I, I, I really grapple with this over and over and over and over and over. You don't know how much it ate at me to try to figure out why can I not have a better impact? And then it dawned on me one day as I was literally doing a study of Ephesians that when you get to the fifth chapter in the middle, if I haven't got from middle of four to middle of five right, then no amount of advice I give you is going to help the situation. If you do not bring to this a deep appreciation For what Christ has done for you, and then bring the character that should flow out of that appreciation. Then, when the pressures of marriage come together, and you know, Paul warned us about marriage. He said, if you get married, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Well, there is some truth to that. Men and women were very different, and you put us together, and sometimes it can be interesting situations develop out of that. But if I can bring to the table the kind of character, My family is going to work. In fact, I think when we get to the end of our passage today and we look at what Paul says about being filled with the Spirit, it may make a little more sense than what it's ever even made to me as we get to that particular passage today. So let's stand because we're going to talk about making the most of your time in an evil day. And here's what it says in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise Make the most of your time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but it's your job to understand the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, that is a dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things or for all things, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Father, speak to us in a very clear way today. This section now is telling us how we put together everything we've been studying and how it should impact our lives and what we're to do with all of this so that we can be, have the kind of families that you've called us to have, that we can be the kind of men and women in our workplace that you've called us to be, and that when the more difficult days come, we'll be able to stand firm And when we bow our knee in prayer, we'll be able to pray in such a way that it'll be effective because we've heard what your word has said. Now watch over and guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we do with all that we've been learning as we study Ephesians? This is really coming together now and summarizing all of this and telling you, here's what you do with it now. I've always liked the practicality of what life is about. I love the deep study. I've always enjoyed my, getting my theology books and grappling with some of the great topics and subjects. But when it comes down to it, what is simple is, how do we take the simple truths of God's Word and live them out? In 2001, in January, my two kids going to Texas Tech, both decided to quit and move home. As close as I ever came to divorcing my children. Parents, you probably had no battles ever like that. My daughter's best friend had died her senior year and it shook her so bad, she just wanted to come home. So I said, come home. My son, Mark, I don't think he ever went to class that semester according to the grades that I saw, and he wanted to start over, so they came home. Now, when your kids have been gone for two or three years and they come home, they're not the best back in the house. They're too used to having their own ways. We had just sold our house. My kids were gone. We're downsized, and I gave them the furniture, and we bought all new furniture. You know how all that works. And we're downsizing and building a, two, instead of a two-story house, a single-level house, smaller. Well, my house sold too fast, and we had to go into an apartment. and I now have three adult children in a 900-square-foot, three-bedroom apartment for the next five months. We hadn't been there two days, and I wake up. It's five in the morning. My wife's in the fetal position on the floor with a look like I can't imagine. I'm going, man, this kid's coming home. is worse than I thought. But it wasn't that. This happened three days in a row. The third day, we made a trip to the doctor to find out what was going on. It's It's a long story, but made very short. My wife had kidney cancer. The adrenal gland was being hit by the tumor. We had to go straight to surgery, it was about a 50-50 chance she'd be alive. And you know the end of the story. She's been here a couple times with me. We got through all of that. I will tell you, though, when you're going through that and you don't know if you're the little girl that you fell in love with and who's walked with you all these years will be with you much longer, it is tough. I mean, I, I, I'm married so far over my head, it was not even funny. And to lose the one who was this special to me, and i never forget, I went one day. And the story has a purpose because I went to my new house that I was building. And I sat on the back porch. And guys, I don't shed tears hardly at all. I, don't, I just don't. That's me. My wife's total opposite, but I'm not. But on that day, I sat there with tears flowing down my face because I was scared to death that I was losing her. Now, guys, I wrote doctorate papers in Calvin's view of evil and suffering. I wrote a doctoral 50-page paper on Augustine's view of suffering. None of that meant a thing to me at that moment. Nothing. That didn't do me one bit of good. All the education I've been given doesn't help at that particular moment. You know what worked? I did this earlier when I first came, but it really struck a chord for me to learn from then on. In 2001, sitting there on the back porch, I began to go, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Y'all heard that one before? What I came to realize that day, I didn't know where God was going to take us. I didn't know if Jan would be walking by my side for the rest of our lives, or it would be over within the next weeks or months. But my God, love me. See, the simple truths of God's word are what motivates us to get up and live our lives every single day. And so we've been seeing that in this these passages, that we get rid of our anger, that we speak truth, but we do it with love. We work hard with our own hands. We don't make everybody else pay our way. We don't criticize everybody, but we try to lift everybody up, because this is a tough world in which to live. And we get rid of the anger and bitterness of the times that people have hurt us or situations have unfolded, and we learn to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And we walk in moral purity as we've been called to do. That's what walking in love is about, and especially in the culture in which we live in. We clean up our mouth as we talk. That's what Paul's been calling us to do. It's not rocket science. You don't have to have a degree in engineering from a major university to be able to know Christianity in reality is very, very simple. Jesus loves me, this I know. And because of that, this is what he wants from me, and this is how I want to live. And this living of a good life, which we've all been called to do, works. It works well. So what does he tell us to do in verse 15? Well, take all of this, and first thing he says or commands is, be careful in your walking. Be careful in your walking. Verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. You may have already picked this up. I haven't hit it that hard as we've been going through Ephesians, but you literally could title this book Walking because that's found over and over. In 2.2, it says you formerly walked according to the way the world did. But in verse chapter 4, verse 17, you no longer walk that way as the rest of the world does. But what we do now is we walk in good works. Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Chapter five, two. walk in love. walk as children of light. There's been a call that you and I are to walk through life. Now this week we had football tryouts and we were timing them on the 40s and what we call 5-10-5s and some other things, see how quick they are and everything else. One of the boys afterwards says, Coach Grandpa, you going to time on the 40? Nope. I don't want to hurt myself. I would if I timed myself on the 40 and then I'd be ashamed of the time which I would show them. I've learned something. You don't need to be in a hurry to get anywhere. And I'm grateful at this age. Walking has always been the key. Walk, steady, slow. But notice the word that's with it, careful. Now, in your English translation, you may have this, but New America says it, be careful how you walk. In the Greek, it means watch carefully. It's literally the word to see. Means have your eyes open as you walk through life to be able to see carefully all that's going on. You wonder why? The path is narrow and the way is hard, scripture says. Not many travel successfully the narrow path. My pastor of many years, Paul Burleson, then when I was a seminary student, we've stayed buddies all these years. He's still in his 80s, still going strong, still preaching around America. He was in Fort Worth at Southcliffe for years and had quite an impact on a lot of us as students. Had a sermon I've never forgotten. And that is, few men end well. Few men end well. He preached it on Lot. I still remember the whole thing. And that's been 40 some odd years ago. And it is my call. I told my wife the other day, my call in life I want to end well. You can still mess up. Look how well David did for the longest, King David. Man, you get to up through 2nd, or 1 Samuel, the 10th chapter. This guy's life has been impeccable. Everything that he has done as he walked through life. When he faced the most difficult situation, he sought God's advice always. But when you get to chapter 11, you know what the start of the first verse says? Then it happened. You don't need me to tell you the story. You know the story. Then it happened. Suddenly his carefulness was gone. Suddenly he ends up paying a price. It cost him the lives of four of his children. It cost him uh, at one time being king as he had to run from his son Absalom. He paid prices for what took place and what he did within his life. You and I do not want to be defined by then it happened. Too many people in this world are defined by moments like that. And when you cross a line like that, you cannot uncross the line. Then it happened. And so, what you're to do is walk carefully, keep your eyes open. We live in a very difficult day. You need to keep your eyes open watching. Ephesians 4.14 says there's trickery of men, there's craftiness and deceitfulness, there's scheming, the futility of minds of people that you're dealing with. You face all around us this immorality, impurity, and greed that so dominates everything that we do. You and I are to be careful, and the word careful is interesting. If you go to Luke chapter 1 and you look at what Luke wrote at the very opening, he details how he wrote the Gospel of Luke. He was a a medical doctor who traveled with Paul. God used him in the most dramatic of ways. But when he writes there in Luke 1, he said, I investigated everything carefully from the beginning. He took his time when he wrote the book of Luke. He wanted to get it exactly right. He wanted to get the details just right. The word carefully means you pay attention to all details that are going on around you. Why? Because you do not want to be unwise. You want to be wise. And wisdom is watching carefully, watching for the tricks of life, the the, the deceitfulness of life, the lies of life, and saying, I'm not going there. My life is too important. I want to do well. I want to finish well. And if you don't walk carefully, then you will be, as verse 15 says, you will be one of the unwise people. You will be, in a sense, what Proverbs calls a fool. And you don't want to be that. You don't want that in your life. You know, when I was younger, y'all have a river here I've talked about a couple times, the Sabine River. We used to go up to Newton from Orange, Texas, put our two-man rafts into the Sabine River. Somebody would take our car back to Orange, and we would Tom Sawyer our way down the Sabine River. Now, we're 15, 16, 17 years of age. Now, if you're going up and down the Sabine River, especially as you get closer down to the coast, you got to watch out for some things. Alligators, water moccasins. When I think back on what we did and how dumb we were and how stupid we were, I'm I'm surprised any of us survived that. When I look at where we go, I drive over that I-10 bridge going to Louisiana ever so often still, And I look down there and go, oh, gosh, we were so stupid, it wasn't even funny. We weren't watching carefully for anything. And I got stories of things that happened that I think back on can almost give me nightmares at night as we were on that river. See, guys, if you don't pay close attention to what's going on, and that means what? Pay close attention to your kids. Pay close attention to your spouse. Pay close attention to details at work of all that you do. Keep your eyes open in all that takes place. Because you want to know something? Nobody can walk this life of yours. Only you can. You were created to walk in good works. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. God prepared beforehand this life for you. Walk in it. Do it well. So that when you get to the last breath and you're laying there and you're about to breathe your last, you can look at your family if you could even speak at that moment. As my father-in-law did When he said to me, thank you for giving Jan a good life, one of the greatest compliments I ever got was from my Marine father-in-law, who was tougher than nails, who didn't like me for the first year or so of our marriage because I couldn't build houses nor repair cars, and I was not a Marine. I was just a preacher who does preacher stuff. Not men, that's how he felt, but at the end we had became buddies. But that man finished well. I want to do the same thing. And he did it the way I know you do it. According to this, walk carefully. Second thing you're to do is not only walk carefully, but take advantage of every opportunity. Look at verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. It's in the middle voice in the Greek language. It means only you can do this. I cannot do this for you and you cannot do this for me. Opportunities that you miss in life, very rarely do you ever get another opportunity to try it again. Now, I always tell my seminary students when I was teaching at Southwestern listen, as a preacher, congregation, most of you don't see us during the week. You may be up here off and on and around the church, but you don't see what we're doing. We don't always have anybody looking over our shoulder at everything that we do. But I I tell them this you work hard anyway you got the same amount of time you put in. I don't care if anybody's watching you or not. You're not doing this to be seen. You're doing this to fulfill the obligation that God's put within your heart. Take advantage of every opportunity that God's given you and make the most of your time. If you and I fully grasp and understand all that's going on, then we want to do well. And we'll take advantage of every second that we got in life. One of the greatest gifts God's given us is time. The word here is not chronological. Kronos, which means I look up and see it's 1118 at this particular moment. It has to do with the word, a different word, which means seasons. Seasons. We're about to enter into the summer season, camps, those kind of things that you'll be doing. It's a season of time. We have seasons of time in which to live, and they're precious moments. We're only given a certain amount of it. Now, I remind you of this. Every one of us have 24 hours in a day. 24 hours in a day. It's amazing how much some people can get done in 24 and how little others can do in 24. I get onto my grandkids and they probably think I'm an old man when I do this, but here's what most of their day is like now. Now, I've been a poor teacher on this because I'm working on this thing all the time, but they're playing games and they're good. They're good at all these games. Like my, co- their cousins in San Antonio. They're with them. And they've got headphones on and they're talking back and forth. That's good. Have fun with it. But life is passing by quick. And one day, you young ones out here in high school—I'll call you young ones. I didn't used to, but I will now because you are to me. You're gonna wake up one day and you—you you don't have any skills. You don't have any. Education, you have no abilities because you've wasted the time. On the football field this week, we had 47 guys out for varsity. About half of them haven't done one thing yet to get ready for the season. They have wasted all this time. About 15, 16 of the guys, they've been in the gym every single day. They run every single day. They don't miss one of our spring practices they are giving everything they got because they want when they hit the field in the fall, they want to be good. You and I are to make the most of the time God gives us. This is important to me because when I went away to UT, I only had two things in mind. I wanted to be rich and famous, and I wanted somebody to give me an education. No, I meant give me a degree, not an education. I worked for the Capitol it's the, for a senator. I was on top of the world until I wasn't because I didn't study or go to class. I look back on those two years, and I blew two years. I blew two years so badly it wasn't even funny. I was able to later recover, but I look back on that and wish now I had not wasted all that time. That's what Paul's calling us to do. Don't waste your time. Been hitting the young ones. How about us older ones? We don't have a lot of time left. Let's keep working hard. Just because you're tired doesn't mean you're through. You can still have a dramatic impact and influence. How old was Moses when he Decided to go back to work. 80. Caleb. I love, in fact, one of my staff members who was a war hero, Caleb was his man in the Old Testament. It says he was 85 years of age and could still go to war. I'm 70 and I can't even run down the football field. I can't imagine what kind of shape that man was in. He was still living life full. Joshua, still going strong. We're to make the most of the time. You know, I don't know if i got a year left. I don't know if i got 20 years left. But I want to live my life every day because of what Christ has done for me to do whatever he needs. And it might be that I'll, I'll write a book this spring and, and submit that at 70 years of age. Maybe I, I will do a, another job different than coaching and jump into that. I don't know. But we, whatever God opens the door for us, let's walk through it. And another reason you to do this is our lives are a mere passing breath. Take your hand, run it across your face, feel the breath from your hand. That's how long you live. If you're young, that doesn't make sense. But if you're old, you fully understand what that's about—how fast life passes by. But you and I don't know how long God's got us on this earth. The other day, when I went to Orange, we went out to where the refineries are. Used to, my dad ran Dupont of Orange for several years before he retired. So I wanted to go out and see the, the plant. They, they've sold it now. It's not DuPont anymore. I don't even know who it is that owns it. But as we were crossing a railroad track, because they have a lot of trains there to go in and out of the, those five or six refineries they have there. My brother said, this is where Bubba died. He said, you're kidding me. I said, you know, I never knew exactly where it took place. Bubba Decker, probably one of the greatest baseball players I've ever known. He was on my church softball team, the First Baptist Church of Orange. The kid was amazing. He was a talent that was so um, beyond the rest of us, it wasn't even funny. Freshman year UT, superstar. All-state in voice, had the greatest tenor voice. My brother had won All-state in voice. He and Bubba would sing together at church. Bubba was having professional teams contact him for professional contracts to play ball. But God was calling him to the ministry, and he was going to leave baseball, his sophomore year, to go play, to go to to go to seminary. And then he hit the train, and his life was gone. It devastated us. It killed us. How could God take a life like that? Well, you know what? I, I I say that not to scare you but you don't know how long you got. Live. Make the most of every opportunity God's given you. Be the very best you possibly can. That's what God's called us to do. You ever remember the the story Jesus told of the man who he gave some talents and one got one? What did a man with one talent do with his talent? He hid it. What did Jesus, when he's telling the story, what did he say to the man? You wicked, lazy slave. See, he wasted an opportunity. He was frightened by life and he didn't do it. And so God took it away from him. Don't waste what God created you to do in this life. And you do it to the best of your ability. And then thirdly, it says, understand God's will. We're commanded not to be fools. But if you're watching carefully and you're making the most of your time, you're going to be in pretty good shape. But what you're to do now is try to understand the will of God. And you know how you do that best? By practicing daily everything he's commanded you to do. I've given you seven, eight things over the last three or four weeks that should be a part of your life every day. And you say, okay, I'm, I'm, i I got to learn to get my anger under control or I need to be careful in how I speak. But you may not understand why God wants it that way. But the more you do it, the more you walk in it, the older you get, the more you comprehend why God's will is a good thing. It's part of our learning as we go through life, as we gather the wisdom that we need. And you're called upon to make certain that you understand what life is about. You understand why God commands us to do things. And as you learn those things, it makes you stronger. And you become even, in a better way, walking through life in a manner that will be pleasing to Him. You Remember the story of the ten virgins in the New Testament? They took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were prudent and careful who did their job, who made the most of their time, who were wise and careful in all they did. And there were five who were foolish, who just took it easy, weren't worried about it. We'll get to it when it gets around. And you know the story that when the bridegroom came, the foolish had no oil. They asked others, Here, you got to help us through this. Can't help you. We just have enough for ourselves. They wasted the opportunity and then lost the opportunity. So, my warning to you is be alert. You don't know the day nor the hour when our Lord is coming. i am sidetrack for one second. I'm getting texts and emails from people around the state that I've known all these years wanting to know what my view is of the second coming. I'm not going into that now. But they're all saying the same thing something's different than anything we've ever seen before. Steve, we're very concerned. What are you thinking? And I'm saying, I'm, I think I'm there with you. So that doesn't give you where I stand, but I do know something. He's coming. Is it now? I don't know. But I know this. I need to be ready. I need to live my life fully, which now leads me to the last thing. And that is, don't get drunk, but be filled. Don't get drunk, but be filled. I've always thought, this one's been a hard one for me to grasp. My grandmother and I have gone round and round on all this stuff. She's Pentecostal and I'm Baptist, so you can you know we're going to have some uh, back and forth on this all of our lives. But I'm sitting there going, I don't understand the drunk part. Now, I do know when you get drunk, you get happy and good and all that kind of stuff. But it, do, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But yet now, as I get older, it's beginning to make a lot of sense to me. Let me see if I can give explanation of what I'm thinking. There's a passage of scripture in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, that as a pastor, I would have never known how to preach. And there's no commentary that gives me enough insight to know how to use it when I make application. And it's written to older women. Any of you older ladies, I won't call you old women, but some of you older ladies, do you know what it's about, what it says? That would give me a hard time. He says to older women, do not get drunk with much wine. I'm sitting there going, okay. Does that mean you get drunk with a little wine? It's not as bad? I mean, that's, it says much wine. It made no sense to me. And you know, Baptists, for the longest, we were teetotalers. We're not anymore. Every time I go to an HEB in San Antonio, my members would hide their their, their bottles behind their back when I'd walk by their basket and think I couldn't see it, but I saw it anyway. Why is that pa- seriously though, why is that passage telling older women not to get enslaved or drunk with a lot of wine? You know what my observation has become? I see this now. I didn't see it when I was young, it made absolutely no sense, though I've known to even look for it. But when you pastor long enough and stay 30 years in a place, you begin to see how it unfolds. There are ladies in my church whose life didn't work out the way they dreamed. Their knight in shiny armor, it got rusty or wasn't good. Their kids didn't turn out the way they wanted. Life just has just hit them in a hard way gotten older and their beauty is changed and life becomes a little sadder so as the sun goes down at night this little sip of the wine it just Proverbs says wine makes the heart merry, get through all of that, trouble is the sadness of life eventually leads to enslavement to that and I have seen that on several occasions now, now I've been doing that about the older, but that's what this drunkenness passage is about. Life is tough. We live in evil days and people, a lot of times, they can't wait to get to Friday night just to get a little of the spirit in them so they can what? Try to enjoy life because it's not a whole lot of fun anymore. And so Paul's telling us we don't go that route anymore. But why should we? Why should we have to even worry about drunkenness anymore when our lives should be so characterized by the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, for a lot of people, you, you hear a preacher talking about joy, but it's not really real to them. But some of you in this room today, you know how real this joy is. But then another thing began to dawn on me as I've been studying through this over the years. Because when it says, instead of getting drunk, be filled with the Spirit, I've always wondered, what am I supposed to do to make that happen? Is it, I mean, it doesn't tell me how to be filled. It commands me to be filled, but it doesn't tell me how to be filled. You know what I've come to a conclusion? You can agree or disagree with me on this. But I really have come in pretty strong now at this point on this. If I'm walking through life in a good way, I work hard with my hands. I'm not angry at everything that goes on anymore. I don't act foolishly in that anger. I'm always trying to lift people up and not tear them down. I've learned what forgiveness is about, and I freely forgive. I've kept my life morally pure and clean. I don't let bad things come out of my mouth. Do I not wake up in the morning and feel pretty good? I'm not controlled by bitterness and anger. I'm living a good life. I was telling Jan the other day, I said, you know, you and I have been blessed. We've got along well all these years. We really have. We literally have never had a a fight. Now, I'm wrong all the time, but we've never had a fight. I'll never forget old Ernest Green. He was in his late 80s, he and Bonnie, and somebody said to Ernest, I bet you and Bonnie never fight. He said, no, because I'm never right, so I just don't fight. But we did with Jen, and I have just enjoyed. I, you know, and I was a, as dumb as you get entering marriage and when it came to women as a guy could ever be. I mean, I just want to be on the athletic field, baseball, football, basketball. I mean, those are the only things that are important in life. I never held a baby till I held Stephanie for the first time. You've heard that. And so we've been blessed. And so when I lay down at night, I sleep. I love about 9, 30, 10. Go get a book, go and read, fall off to sleep, and I'm sleeping well. I wake up in the morning, and I'm ready for a day. See, I'm not so certain that's not what filled with the Spirit is. Walk in obedience where God can now use you. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's literally what we've been studying in these previous verses. And when I'm allowing that to happen, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And if there comes moments in time when God's Spirit wants to use me and pour out on me, which occasionally will happen in life, that God will use you in the most dramatic of ways, you have been walking carefully enough to hear what he has to say, and you'll be where God placed you. I was, making a, I was in a visit on the east side of San Antonio. I need to get back to the office afterwards. I didn't go the way I go 100% of the time. Dropping 35 down to 10 over to 90 back to 410 to Calibra. I decided to take 410 all the way around the north side and come around that way, which I never do. I just took off and did it. I wasn't really thinking one way or the other. As I came up to Fredericksburg exit in San Antonio, my phone rang, and it was Donna Fogle. Hey, Donna, this is Steve. What do you need? Her husband had a massive heart attack and was in the hospital and was about to die. He said, Steve, would you get up here as fast as you can in the hospital? I said, I'll be there as fast as I can. Seven minutes later, I walk in the room. Said, How did you get here so quick? I said, I was on the freeway. I, said, I came home with different way. When you called, the exit was right there. I just exited. There's a hospital. I walked in. See, sometimes God, because you've been walking right, will use you at a moment that you could not have planned for. You don't even understand. But that's part of being filled with the presence of God. And you know how you know you're going to be filled with the presence of God? What is the evidence of being filled with the presence of God? Well, if I look at verse... Uh, 18, do not get drunk with wine for dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If you'll look in your English translation, it's a comma after being filled with the Spirit. It's not the end of a sentence. He's still got some more to say. So, what is it evidence that you're filled with the Spirit? Well, if you'll look at it very carefully, you'll see what it is. You speak and sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, which literally covers all the types of ways you and I can sing in a church. Some people just like one type of song. I like them all. It's evidence of being filled with the presence of God within us. But we sing. In fact, making melody means playing instruments. Now, I don't play any instruments. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. But for my wife, she'll walk over to her her baby grand that we have at the house, and she will sit down, and she will play for hours. It brings her such peace and joy. She's play, playing great hymns, great composers, great types of things. In fact, on Sunday morning, while I'm getting ready to make the drive out here, she's got music on in the, uh, in the bathroom. It's the, it's the playlist of what we're singing at our church in Fort Worth, and she's singing with them. And sometimes she's sitting there playing on the, on the counter as she's doing it because she knows where all the keys are on the counter. I'm looking. I don't see any keys, but she's getting them there. Because it's just a special moment to her. She's filled with the presence of God. She's making melody with her heart. She's singing. That's what gives evidence that we're part of what God's doing. And he's filled us in such a way we just want to sing. At my mom's funeral, we sang, How Great Thou Art. All my brothers, we sat around the table with dad. I preached the funeral. My brothers and my dad and I wrote the funeral together. One of the best experiences I ever had. But as we were putting the thing together, all three of us boys said, how great thou art. You know why? Whether she was vacuuming the carpet, cooking or driving, she would sing that song. She would just, she had a good voice, great voice. My brothers got their singing ability and she would just sing that. I have come to realize if God's presence is real, there's a song in your heart and you're going to sing. The second thing you're going to do is, is you're going to be what? Thankful in all things. Thankful in everything that happens, good or bad. You say, well, I can do the good. I can't do the bad. Yes, you can. Just pull in Romans eight twenty-eight. But we know that God calls us all things to work together for those who love him or called according to his purpose. So even the most difficult moments, you know, when I look back on Jan's cancer and we were blessed to come through all of that and she's had a great life. You know how God used that experience for me? I now understand when somebody's going into surgery, a difficult surgery, I now can fully understand what's going through, which I never did as a pastor. I'd be there, but I didn't understand. God's used that on many occasions where I could give counsel that needed to be given at that moment. My sister's suicide, as devastating and destructive as that was in our family, paid off. This sounds horrible, but it worked for me to help others i never forget a pastor's daughter who had a gun to her head in her closet about to take her life. When I arrived at the house, I was asked to be there. And I went in. I walked in with the gun in her hand. I got in the closet, sat on the floor with her, and looked her in the eye and talked with her for 30 minutes when she finally took the gun and placed it in my hands, And I walked her out of there. You know what I told her? Only something I learned through my sister's death. I walked with her through the impact it would have on her mom and dad. And she loved him, which I knew. And she put the gun down. She had just caught her husband in an affair and her whole life was destroyed, she thought. And she just wanted to run away and hide or die one. And I could talk out. See, you and I, when we look at the tough times, you never know how God's going to use that. And being filled with the Spirit of God, you will be thankful in all that happens. And then lastly, and we conclude, You'll show respect. You'll be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You'll treat people right. I know you're filled with the Spirit of God when you're just walking around here having a good time with people and enjoying everybody, talking to everyone. We just get along with people. The greatest people I've ever known, they can get along with anybody and everybody. Proverbs says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans says the same thing. Be at peace with all men but it comes easy when I have the presence of God within me. This is what we do with the truths we've been learning. We walk carefully, keep our eyes open on the narrow path. We take advantage of every opportunity that God's given us so that we can gain understanding of what his will is and have his presence full within us, not battered and beaten down by life and need something to anesthetize the hurt and the pain. But the freedom that comes in Christ to be able to live life fully. And as I walk through life, I'm singing and making melody. I'm thankful in all things. And I show respect to everyone I come in contact with. And I close with one thought. Now maybe as we get into it next week, you can understand if I bring this to a marriage, then the marriage is going to work. If I bring this to raising children, it's going to be a little bit easier to do. These things fit together. And the more you put this into practice, the more God will richly bless everything that you do. Father, we thank you for the privilege and honor you've given us today to be able to study your word. And Father, as we bring this to conclusion today, help us to maybe make some new determinations today to be more careful how we walk through life, to, to work harder to make more of our time that you have given us to be the kind of men and women you've called us to be. And that we'll live in such a way, as we understand your will, that our lives will be filled with your presence. And people who come in contact in us will know there is something special going on with our lives because of the the joy and the music, the thankfulness, and the respect that we show. So, Father, watch over and bless each one here. Do what you need to do within their life to get them to where they need to be. Is my prayer, in Jesus' name. Amen.